Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. You know that classic children's book, Where the Sidewalk Ends? In Nashville, the better question sometimes is, where does it begin? Less than 20% of our streets have sidewalks, and the sidewalks we do have are not well-connected neighborhood to neighborhood. Try crossing Nolensville Road or West Trinity Lane or Charlotte Avenue on foot, and you'll see just how much cars still rule the road. 22 people have already died on our streets so far this year, just trying to walk from point A to point B. Later this hour, we're bringing you a special Citizen Nashville episode all about sidewalks. We'll hear from a council member, the head of the Department of Transportation, an advocate, and people who use our sidewalks, or try to, every day. Plus, we're answering your questions. There's still time to tweet us at This Is Nashville. But first, the state legislature has redrawn the electoral map in a way that will transform our congressional elections. The new map, map splits Nashville into three new districts, changing the face of representation for all Nashvillians. WPLN political reporter Blaze Ganey joins us now to give us a better idea of how the new districts were drawn and what it's going to mean. Good afternoon, Blaze. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. So Davidson County was split up into three districts, but there's there's more to it than just the split. So where are these new districts and what areas do they include? So all the three districts include Nashville, obviously, but um, I'll just go through it as, as fast as I can here. District 5 includes more so South Nashville, um, but also comes around in loops towards East and Hermitage. And then it includes cities like Lebanon in there, and it goes down to uh, Murray County and Columbia and a little over towards Hohenwald, which is a small city in Lewis County. Um, and then you have District 7. It uh, includes Clarksville, Waverly, and goes all the way down to the southern border in Waynesboro, hmm. um, which is connected towards uh, Alabama. And then you have District 6. District 6 includes... East and a little bit of North Nashville, it looks like, from the map here, Sumner County, and then goes east over towards Overton, but also comes down and includes uh, Putnam and White counties. So how does all this change voting demographics? Well, I think you can tell by the names of the places I said, they aren't exactly like Nashville. They aren't as urban, and they're a lot more rural in red districts, um, counties. And so that just adds a lot more Republican voters, um, more than likely Republican voters, into the districts in Nashville, which has historically voted Democrat. Now, Republicans control the state legislature. Therefore, they control the redrawing of congressional districts. What was their logic for this redesign? So I've talked to a political scientist, and, and what they've said essentially is that the logic behind this is they could— win another seat, take this, the Democratic seat that used to always be in Nashville, if they split it up enough, which they, they've done a really good job at doing so, they could win all three of these seats and have, out of the nine um, U.S. House seats, have eight of to Democrats won, which is in 
Memphis, which is a majority minority district, and they really can't do too much to that mm. legally. So what are the Democrats saying? I mean, they're, they're essentially saying that this is borderline racist. Um, mm. I mean, there's a lot of minorities in Nashville that now won't be able to really form a group and go out and vote and strengthen, you know, strengthen numbers type thing. Um, so it, it splits those minorities up into districts with less minorities, and, and now they are heavily outnumbered. Um, Nashville, in Davidson County, the district before was around 24% uh, minority population. Now uh, these districts, the highest, I believe, is maybe 18% black, and then it gets as low as 10%. Hmm. Now, you met with Democrat Jeff Yarbrough, who showed you where the three new districts intersect, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we met. It was uh, it was hot, and as it's been very hot lately. But, yeah, we met, and we took a walk actually through all three of these districts on Thompson Lane near Nolensville Pike. Okay. What was that like outside of, of the extreme heat? Yeah, outside of the extreme heat, I mean, it was an interesting walk. I mean, you wouldn't think that you'd be able to take— maybe a five-minute walk and be in three congressional districts. Mm. Um, in some of the areas, we actually hopped in the car and he drove me around that area also. And, I mean, it's a it's a school across the street in one district and houses right across the street are in another district. It's it's really odd. Um, and you, you see a lot of the same situations just uh, if, you, if you drive around down there and actually have the map out and you're like, this street literally splits. I mean, it's a car wash not far from that Krispy Kreme where we met at that is in another district. So if you went and got, you know, a drink from Krispy Kreme or a donut and then went over and got a car to the car wash, you're in another district, and you drive down the street, it's a, a railroad. If you get on the other side of that railroad, you're in the 7th district, I believe. So, hmm. it, and, and to be honest with you, I, I forget the n- numbers uh, because it's they all it mixes so much down there. I mean, it's literally street by street. You may have to check and see who that resident would be voting for. So essentially neighbors now are in two different districts where they used to share one. Yeah, you could throw a football across the yard into another district. Okay. Now, uh, what about these voters? What are what are the voters' comments about this redistricting? Well, the funny thing is, I mean, obviously the voters in, in Davidson are mad and, and upset. They continue to say, hey, we want communities to be put together. And as you, you know, I'm describing houses right across the street in different districts. That's not communities being kept together. And but actually, you know, people out in the rural areas are also a little upset because what if somebody in Davidson does win a Democrat and now they lost their Republican representative that they've had for, you know, maybe a decade or so. And they feel like then their voice wouldn't they they all they also uh, suffered the possibility of being voiceless, one would say. This is a history-making move for Davidson County, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, from from what I've been able to research and gather from uh, people, this is the first time the district has been split this egregiously, if at all, since Andrew Jackson was in office. Wow. That's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Now, gerrymandering, it's a practice. It's done by both political parties, and it often faces legal challenges from the minority party. Did Democrats challenge this in court? They have not yet. And that that's sort of what I keep getting when they say, when I say, hey, I ha-, you know, I thought something was going to come out. Nothing yet. But um, to be honest with you, it also seems like they it may be really hard for them to challenge this in court. Courts have really 
stayed away from changing maps, definitely here in Tennessee. And not only that, you, it's not racial gerrymandering, which is one of the things that is against the law, but it's not racial gerrymandering because it isn't a, my, a majority minority district. It was around 25%, like I said before, which allows them to cut it up and do things like this. Now, you spoke with Odessa Kelly, who is running in the new District 7. Why is she running? So I actually got a statement from her team last Friday exactly on that. And she's running against Congressman Mark Green, who's going in for his third term in District 7. And she says that, you know, she's an openly gay black woman and says that he is notoriously homophobic, anti-choice and has furthered Trump's baseless claims of the stolen election. Mm. And she thinks that her being more progressive um, could have a good pairing of, you know, opposites in, in that in that race. And I'm imagining that's what she's hoping to sort of run on is I'm, I'm not what this guy is. And also, I want to give you access to better health care, better jobs and affordable housing. So what are you keeping your eye on as we get close to the midterm elections in June in November? I mean, I think the biggest thing is here in District five. You know, it's an open seat now um, since Jim Cooper is no longer running. And a lot of Republicans have entered the race. Um, some tried to come from that that weren't here originally, tried to come in and uh, mm. run in the district, actually, which what was stopped. But I think the most interesting thing is who's going to win it. And the easiest thing to tell early on is who's raised the most money. Mm-hmm. Blaze Ganey covers politics at WPLN. You can check out his story on redistricting at WPLN.org. Blaze. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, it's time for Citizen Nashville. Today, it's all about sidewalks. Do you rely on your our sidewalks every day? Do you wish you could? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Citizen Nashville. We've talked a lot here at WPLN News about how to serve you, our communities, better. So a few times a month, we're bringing you a special hour we're calling Citizen Nashville. Our goal is to answer your questions, round up resources for you, and make sure our leaders hear your needs loud and clear. Today, we're talking about sidewalks. Tweet us your questions at this is Nashville. Earlier this year, the city released the Vision Zero Action Plan to plot out how the city will address pedestrian and cyclist safety. There are 71 miles of so-called priority miles where sidewalks are urgently needed. But residents know that's not even close to how much sidewalks this city really needs. Peter Robinson tweeted us, quote, I could write volumes. Nashville's biggest expansion period was the post-war era, when America's obsessions with cars was in full swing. My neighborhood is a pretty common example. Built in the 1960s, no sidewalks on any streets. There aren't even sidewalks on major thoroughfares that connect our schools or business or transit routes. End quote. 
Couple that with roadways that have speed limits of 40 miles an hour or more, and you have a potentially dangerous situation for pedestrians. Members of our community who have disabilities are in particularly grave danger. My first guest is Quinn Howard, who lives in Murfreesboro and works in Nashville. We first heard from him on an episode we did in March on accessibility. Quinn, welcome back to This is Nashville. Thank you for having me. So now you have a service dog that help you travel, right? Yes, sir. That's correct. So, so what happens when you're on the road with a sidewalk and suddenly the sidewalk ends? Well, so with the dog, um, when the sidewalk ends, the dog just stops uh, and he doesn't move. He's trying to. He's waiting for me to make the next decision. You know, it's with the dog. It's uh, it's a partnership. So. His job is to keep me around, away from obstacles and keep me around things. And when our path suddenly ends, it's up to me to give him the next command. And that gets really stressful and, and confusing when a sidewalk just ends. Um, What's your thought process as that happens? Well, uh, for me, uh, being someone that is blind, I instantly um, start to kind of problem solve where... Um, uh, it's it's almost scary sometimes because I, I'm on a busy road. Cars are going, you know, 45 miles an hour. Um, and I, I'm really just trying to uh, figure out a way or, uh, to get to where the sidewalk hopefully begins. Or yeah. if that that doesn't work, I'll turn around and go back to where, the way I came and take an Uber to my destination. So tell me, what cues are you using to keep safe? Yeah. So, uh, with the dog, um, you know, he's my, he's my guide, right? So he's getting me to where I'm going, but, um, with someone that's blind, I'm using my ears for, for travel. So, um, I'm relying on traffic for street crossings and to know where the main roads are. So someone that can't see, you can only imagine, you know, when traffic is going really, really fast and, you know, it's a few feet away from you, uh, it is really difficult to know how far the traffic actually is. It could actually be, you know, eight, 10 feet away, but vehicles going that fast, you know, it's, 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 it really kind of startles you. How about crosswalks? Do those present any challenges as well? Absolutely. Um, they're, they're, it's multifaceted. So when you have a crosswalk that has the truncated domes, which are these little uh, like pads that have these kind of like uh, plastic feet uh, that kind of allow someone that's blind to line up with the curb of the, the street they're on to cross over. Uh, that makes life a lot easier because you know where that sidewalk ends. It lines you, It's supposed to line you up with your parallel traffic. So it, you're able to cross a lot safely. But um, a lot of times, especially in, in our area, that's not the case. You don't have those or um, those... Um, Truncated domes are off-centered, meaning they're more facing the center of the street. So if you actually cross, you're actually walking into traffic. So you have difficulty relying upon them, huh? Absolutely. Now, my next guest moved to the city four years ago and has experienced a short sidewalk, sort of sidewalk culture shock, really. Matt Hertz, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So what do you think of the Nashville situation and our sidewalk situation when you moved here? 
I was surprised, uh, you know, candidly, the, the the baseline that I was working off was, you know, previously living in San Francisco and New York before then, Toronto before that. So all uh, very large uh, markets with um, terrific public transportation and, and great walkability. Um, and moving to Nashville, it was uh, a bit of a surprise that, uh, you know, I suppose I took it for granted that uh Every city had similar uh, infrastructure, and you know Nashville was uh, certainly lacking in that department. How important are sidewalks to you and your way of life? They are greatly important. I don't drive. Uh, I, I have literally not driven a vehicle in 14 years. Uh, my fiance doesn't love that about me, but hmm. uh, I, I walk everywhere. I, I, today I live in uh, the Five Points area of East Nashville, which is um, fairly walkable. Uh, there are lots of sidewalks, but. Uh, I'm very alert. I, I rarely have my AirPods in when I'm walking because I'm afraid of uh, vehicles uh, not expecting that uh, there's a pedestrian both on a bike or you know walking. And sidewalks help, but there's uh, a, a deeper uh, importance in, in having folks in vehicles understand that pedestrians are out there and the, the makeup of the city is certainly changing. So even with these sidewalks in your neighborhood, you're still not feeling safe. Correct. Uh, cars drive uh, far too fast. There's a, a lack of uh, stop signs or uh, speed bumps uh, to uh, you know limit uh, um, uh, pedestrian um, uh, fear. Now, Quinn, how about you? How does the condition of our sidewalks, how does this affect your quality of life? So for me, I, um, I walk quite often, so I, do, I rely on sidewalks just to get from point A to point B. Um, right. So like uh, a lot of individuals have the privilege of, you know, driving to their destination. For me, I rely on these sidewalks just to uh, get to where I'm going. So quite a bit. Matt, I understand you reached out to your council member about sidewalks. How did that correspondence go? That went quite well. Um, I, it was the first time I had reached out to uh, a council member. Um, my, my current uh, council member is uh, Brett Withers uh, before I was in Freddie's uh, district when I was living in, in Midtown. Um, the, the, the correspondence was, was very positive. I uh, tweeted at him. That's, that's usually where I go to um, voice concerns or, or requests. And I believe I also tagged in uh, NDOT. And uh, the the specific issue was uh, there there was a um, uh, part part of the cobblestones on on South 11th Street uh, near where I live. Uh, there was um, a, a few of the bricks were out of place, so it was it was causing um, people to trip there who were not expecting it, both tourists as well as uh, uh, residents. And uh, there were uh, there were several weeks where that was not fixed, and it didn't look like anyone was uh, going to fix it. There was no uh, pylons or any marker to suggest so. So I had tweeted at, at uh, Councilman Withers, and within minutes he had responded with um, what was happening, what was what what would be fixed in that situation, and maybe it was a coincidence or maybe it was uh, uh, not. Um, but within 24 hours, there was an NDOT crew working on on the problem, and they had it fixed. So mm-hmm. um, I was I was happy that it was. Um, uh, taken to heart and, and that the issue was, um, you know, put to bed. Question about your neighbors in the Five Points neighborhood. Um, have you talked to them about it? How do they feel about these sidewalks and pedestrian safety? 
they are um, very concerned about it. You know, there's a lot of uh, young couples, you know, young young families living in the area. Many have um, children. There's also a lot of uh, elderly folks. You know, our, our next door neighbor is very elderly, and she has um, you know difficulty navigating different construction sites that at times block all the sidewalks and prevent uh, the ability to continue on your path. Um, there's also, uh, unfortunately, a lot of scooters, uh, you know, in our neighborhood now that um, tend to drive on the sidewalk. So, um, you know, it's an issue that is really important. It's a neighborhood. Um, sidewalks are a big part of of uh, uh, having a successful and a, and a healthy neighborhood. And um, despite Five Points being better than other neighborhoods in Nashville, when it comes to walkability and sidewalks, there's still a long way to go. Now, Quinn, I understand your job is moving its office, and that's going to affect your mobility options during the workday. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we're currently like in the heart of downtown Nashville, where sidewalks are readily accessible. Um, I'm able to get to where I want with no issues. Um, you have your occasional um, scooters <laughs> that, you know, the dog is gracious enough to help me get around, but now we're moving kind of towards the, the metro center area and sidewalks in that area are um, uh, not really present. So it's going to be really, really difficult to travel um, from home to my home office uh, safely. Yeah, hearing you guys mention scooters, we might have to do a special Citizen Nashville episode on those. I'm sure this whole city will be interested in tuning in. And if you're just tuning in now, this is Citizen Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking about sidewalks and pedestrian safety. My next guest is Kathy Carrillo, Education and Engagement Manager at Walk Bike Nashville. Last week, she was a guest on our show about public transportation. We're happy to have her back with us. Kathy, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for the invitation back. So, you know, where are you all focusing the most attention right now? Like what areas has Walk Bike Nashville determined to be the most in the most dire need for improvements? Yeah. So I think the studies that the city has put out and the studies that we have conducted have allowed us to focus in on what are the high entry networks, right? The We're seeing the same things. We're hearing the same things that the city has been hearing for multiple years. And that's Murfreesboro. That's Nolansville. That's Gallatin. Um, that's places that, yes, are connected to downtown, but places that have been largely ignored, um, not just in the sense of sidewalks, but in the sense of budget and the sense of resources by our city. And that's where we're focusing in on, uh, specifically the Murfreesboro Corridor. We've spoke a little bit last week about the community work that we've been able to do along that corridor, um, getting residents together to make their own traffic calming applications, to get in um speed bumps to petition for stop signs, all of these things. And we know that that's important because while yes, downtown is a place that brings a lot of tourists and a lot of people, the people that make the city and that create the city and um, are the people who are serving you live in these outside uh, areas outside of this core. Um, and even further, like our guest here in Murfreesboro, because housing is a thing in a crisis too. How did you all identify those areas? Well, we did studies. We did a study in, in Murfreesboro. We took the information from NDOT that we received. Um, we This is work that we've been doing since 1998. One of our very first events was Walk to School Day. And it had to do not just with health, but had to do with safe routes to school. One of the um, people who tweeted at us talked about not being able, his kids not being able to use the sidewalk until they get to school. So this is the evaluation that we've been doing over the last 20 years of our work, right? Um, but we have more 
focused in on Murfreesboro and Nolensville, these high injury network corridors outside of just the downtown core while still maintaining a close connection um, over this last five, five years so that we can really listen to what people need. A listener Elsa wrote in, she says, I can't walk anywhere and it's frustrating. I live less than a mile away from a grocery store, movie theater, and library. And I can't walk to any of them without walking into oncoming traffic on Hickory Hollow. I would like Antioch to be prioritized because there are huge amounts of development happening and they're completely inaccessible to anything but having, you know, you need a car. You know, what do you have to say to that? I have to say that it absolutely makes sense, right? The reason we have the data right now is because of the places that we've seen the development. And now we see development happening in Antioch and we know that the issues, unless we get ahead of them, they're just gonna pop up wherever anything else is developing. And so I'm super grateful for people like her that mention these things that can say, hey, I see this happening in my neighborhood. We need to address it now before it becomes an issue later on. And we're saying, oh, well, when this developed, there should have been a sidewalk placed here. There should have been a bike lane placed here. Um, and this is exactly what we need to be doing is having these conversations amongst ourselves and saying, okay, you know what, if the, if the city isn't going to give us the money for it. What are the solutions and voices that we are going to put at the forefront to make sure that something is going to be done about it? And Matt is a great example that one of those things that you do is count, contacting a council person. And it's also joining an organization and it's also bothering all of the government agencies that are supposed to be held accountable for these things. So how important is equity to the work you do at Walk Bike Nashville? It is one of the most important, if not the most important thing, Walk Back Nashville has made the commitment to an anti-racism plan because we know that there is an intersection when it comes to environmental racism, when it comes to transportation justice, with how people in the city are have access to transportation, to sidewalks, to bike lanes, right? And we see that just in the availability of sidewalks when we, we spoke about this last week too. When we create our maps for our walking, uh, our walking maps for our schools, when you look at East Nashville, a place that's been developed and a lot of families have moved out of, that's all green. Those kids out in, in those neighborhoods that have more resources and that have higher income levels have so many ways to get to school safely. But when you take a look at places like North Nashville, when you take a place, a look at places like our, our tweeter mentioned in South Nashville and Antioch, those areas are orange, red. Those kids have no way to get to school mm. in a safe manner. And so you see the reflection in the lack of resources. You see the reflection in the lack of safety. And then you can take the data itself and see where people are dying when they're trying to get from point A to point B. And you'll notice that it's along Murfreesboro Road. You'll notice that it's along Nolansville. You'll notice that it's along these areas where working class people, people of color, majority live. Um, and you can't ignore that. So Quinn, what areas would you like to see addressed? So uh, it's really interesting here to talk about Murfreesboro uh, because that is a, currently where I live and there, um, there's just not, sidewalks are just not much of a, a thing here. Um, um, it, it's really, really stressful. Um, kind of going back to one of the things you just read where like where I am, I can walk maybe half a mile to you know restaurants and things like that because i'm off of medical center but any of those just you know grocery stores and those type of errands that, that people typically run i can't can't walk there can't get to those things so i definitely um would say murfreesboro 
um, is, is definitely at the top of the list for me for sure. Just is, is travel here um, is constantly increasing. Um, and sidewalks are not, and it's becoming really scary at times to, as a blind individual, to walk along these roads, to do um, what the dog would call a country travel. That's where the dog is guiding me on the street that does not have a sidewalk. Mm. He's trained to do that, but it is alarming when um, <laughs> you have traffic coming and going, and um, you're trying to keep yourself safe and your dog safe at the same time. Matt, same question to you. Where do you see the greatest need? I live, candidly, I live in a little bit of a bubble, so I, I'd, I'd rather not be selfish and say in my neighborhood because uh, you know we have far more resources than many other neighborhoods in town. And um, I, you know, I would I would uh, sort of echo what 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 Kathy and Quinn have said and and really put the put the money that's required to invest in the infrastructure where it's most needed. And where people, you know, I don't go to school. We don't have children who are walking to school. So some of these challenges don't impact me as greatly as they do others in our community, in our larger community. So um, I know that we need more infrastructure in many parts of uh, the city and the county and uh, being thoughtful on how that uh, money and infrastructure is spread to those who need it most is where I would nominate. We got a lot of responses to this. And according to our listeners, we really need a sidewalk on Old Harding Road from the railroad track to the Greenway on Belmont Park Terrace near J.T. Moore School and Green Hills Park on Sharondale between Hillsborough Road and Woodlawn. Also Woodlawn between Sharondale and Bowling Dickerson Road, Old Hickory and Brick Church Pike, Nolensville Road, Gallatin Road, mm -hmm. Jefferson Street, just to name a few examples. Now, Kathy, I know your organization works with city officials and mm -hmm. agencies. Can you tell us briefly what that work looks like? That works look like um, helping influence the walk bike plan that uh, was released along with the Vision Zero plan, right? So Lindsay Kansen, our advocacy director, um, is right there in the office talking to people. We have talks with um, NDOT, which I am, who's going to come on later. Um, and that's what it looks like. It's like, it looks like us having the conversations with people who are tweeting and saying, hey, this is where we need the space and us being able to go into those meetings and say, hey, this is what people are saying. That's our role as a community organization is to do that community engagement, talk to people, figure out where the need is, and then also come back and say, okay, now that there's going to be construction, now that there's going to be all of these things that are going to eventually fix it, how do we make sure people stay safe in the meantime, right? Now, Matt has expressed interest in getting involved on a deeper level, what advice would you give to him and anyone else interested or invested in seeking a sidewalk situation and then wanting it to improve? Absolutely. So I think um, as far as I go, I'm uh, community organizing is my foundation. And so to me, I said this last week, but it starts with talking to your neighbors, right? Because one person by themselves cannot do much. But if we get together and we talk to each other and actually create this community aspect of figuring out what are the things that we all need in our areas, then that's where you start. And then from there, you can go into organization um, like Walk Bike National, like Transit uh, Alliance Equity, and you can um, come to so that we can give you the resources and tools to figure out what applications, what things uh, exist already for us to make those requests. And then we can all together go visit our council people uh, and uh, 
mayor, we can all together target people, but it, it comes down to people power, right? If there's no money, then we need people power. And so I'm super glad to meet Matt today because that means we can work with Matt and we can get him a sidewalk in his neighborhood and other neighborhoods, right? It's not just about um, what is needed in, in one place, but it's about what's needed everywhere um, and how Matt can come into other places too and say, hey, you know what? I'm over here, but I recognize the need here and I'm willing to support that. And that's important too. So Matt, we have city officials joining Joining us later to answer questions about sidewalks, what do you want to ask them? I'd like to understand what the plan is uh, to make Nashville a more pedestrian-friendly uh, environment. Uh, I believe as the, I, and I alluded to this a few minutes ago, but as the makeup of the city changes um, for a number of reasons, and as you know, I realize I'm only one cohort of many. But as as folks come from uh, different markets where maybe they had more walkability and more infrastructure, they come here with the same shock that I had a number of years ago when I moved to Nashville, saying, "Oh, it's not so pedestrian friendly." As more folks like that move here, um, we need to invest today so that in five years from now and 10 years from now, we have that infrastructure. These are not easy problems to solve. They're problems that uh, elected officials often have difficulty getting approval of because they cost a lot of money and take a lot of time and inconvenience. But having officials that are long-term focused for Nashville and not trying to make change that'll impact things in the near term necessarily is really important. Mm -hmm. Quinn, same question to you. 30 seconds though. Oh, man, I think Matt hit it out of the park. I just want to echo, echo everything he said here. Uh, for me, I, I think also accessibility, um, you know, seeing along the side of sidewalks, I, I think that's absolutely needed. But even with um, cross, don't cross, the crosswalk signals, uh, making those type of things accessible for, uh, for all of us would be great as well. That is pedestrian Quinn Howard. He was joined by Matt Hertz. I want to thank you both for being on the show. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with the director of the Nashville Department of Transportation and a Metro Council member who is the chairperson of the city's special committee on sidewalks. Don't forget, tweet us your questions about sidewalks at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Citizen Nashville. This hour, we're talking about sidewalks, or the lack thereof, in Nashville. And there's a lot to talk about, especially given th the fact that we're on track to break a record when it comes to pedestrian fatalities. Earlier this year, the city released the Vision Zero Action Plan to map out the process of making our sidewalks and streets safer for pedestrians, cyclists, and motorists. Have you read the plan? Do you have questions for your city officials about sidewalks in Nashville? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. My next guests are Metro Council Member Emily Benedict of District 7 and Diana Alarcon director of the Nashville Department of Transportation and Multimodal Infrastructure. Thanks to you both for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, Emily. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. You know, Emily, you chaired the 2020 special committee that issued a report on the status of the city's sidewalks. What were some of the main findings of that report? 
Yeah, and again, thank you for having me here today. This um, that report really we looked at cost, we looked at timeline, and we wanted to understand you know how we can improve those two things to deliver more safe walkability throughout the city. Um, some of those findings also included that sidewalks aren't always the best solution. Sometimes we just need alternative ways in more suburban areas to improve pedestrian safety by putting in crosswalks and um, and taking other measures. But I think the number one piece that I took out of it is that we have to, and your, your, uh, the prior segment, um, our, your guests talked about this, we have to have the political will to make an investment mm. and make this a priority. Our, uh, so I think that that's something that we came out of it as well, saying we really have to get serious and do something. The committee used the 2017 walk-bike plan to identify 71 miles of priority sidewalks. How was that determined? So those um, that was determined under when this was with Public Works. Um, that was a the priority sidewalk network network was a part of the walk bike walk and bike plan that the city put together at that time. Okay, now Diana, the twenty two the twenty twenty two walk bike plan is here now, and according to the plan, tell us walk and bike plan. Pardon me, you know according to the plan, what are the priority areas right now? So the um, thank you very much um, also for allowing me to be here. Um, so the priority that we're focusing on, of course, in the in the 22, um, the, which is actually a three-year walk-bike plan, we're really focusing in on the areas that have been identified where we need to do improvement of safety uh, and also some connectivity. So maybe we have gaps that are, have happened in the sidewalk, as one of the previous um, um Gentleman Quinn had spoken about, um, you know, it comes to a dead stop. So we really want to recognize and fill in those gaps. We also want to make sure that we're tying in with, with transit. And also we're looking at health and equity as part of it as well. So recognizing that uh, most of our walkers and our bikers are in the most vulnerable or the most vulnerable users of the roadway and they're in a concentrated area. We are focusing in on that. And Vision Zero, which is our new um, plan that we are getting ready to implement is another five-year is a, a five-year plan that complements walk bike. So it gives it allows us to have even a further deep dive and focus in on where we need to make the improvements um, based on the safety, the equity, the health, and as well as access to transit. And then again, the the, the connectivity, um, identifying where we have those gaps. South Nashville resident Will Thompson wrote to us at thisisnashville.org. He says, between Harding Place and Nolansville Pike and Trosdale Road and Elysian Fields, there's probably, Trosdale Road, pardon me, and Elysian Fields, there's probably about 1,000 feet of sidewalk total. With our growing population, people have the dangerous task of walking along busy roads just to grab something from the store. Nashville needs to step it up. Otherwise, we'll be seeing the same situation we're seeing on Dickerson Pike. So a thousand feet of sidewalk total. That means that there are some sidewalks. But as, as you mentioned, Diana, that they're disconnected. That's something we've heard a lot from listeners. So, Diana, what gaps in our sidewalk network does the plan really identify? So um, I would say that, well, can I speak specifically to Nolansville Pike? Because we actually are and have recognized that that is one of our high injury networks that we've identified through our Vision Zero effort. And we actually are going to be uh, going out and doing a total revamping of that road. Now, Nolansville Pike, I just have to share, is actually under the authority of the Department of Tennessee Department of Transportation. The city doesn't own it. 
But uh, TDOT is actually a great partner with us. And we actually have dollars in the budget. So we're going to be looking at taking Nolensville Pike and really, again, applying, you know, where are the gaps? How does it tie to um, transit? But also, as was mentioned, the connection to grocery stores and other amenities that are along that street because that area has been built out. But when it was built, it was built you know, based on a car centric world and not looking at the other modes such as by uh, walking and biking. But Nolensville Pike is actually one of the one of the stretches of roadways that we're really going to be emphasizing as we move forward this year. Well, in this partnership with TDOT, have you all established a timeline for filling in those gaps? So I would say that we have we are kicking off. We're also going to be going after federal dollars. So through the new IIJA, um, program that got passed up in Congress um, for the next five years, there is actually a recent announcement for what they refer to as safe roads. And we have the ability to go after those dollars because of our Vision Zero initiative. And we're going to tap in and go after those dollars so we can get more bang for our buck. And we're going to look at actually, because really what we need to do on Nolensville Pike is a total revamp. We need to look at creating safe bike lanes protected bike lanes. We need to actually improve the, the width of the sidewalk. We need to look at the accessibility, which includes the signals so that it can it's there for all disabled individuals and not just for the average um, walker. So in this case, that doesn't happen quickly and it doesn't happen overnight, but we are moving quickly in the process. We have dollars in the bank. So we're gonna use that as a matching, as a match to go after those federal dollars so we can look at getting more done and we are looking to get it done quickly. An average project, such as a, um, I wanna say a transformational project, usually takes about six to seven years to get done. And what we're trying to look at getting it done is in two to four years. So we are trying to look at breaking that and doing that in half the time, understanding we need it now, we don't need it later. But unfortunately, it does not get built quickly. Now, Emily, we've heard a lot of requests this already this hour about you know new sidewalks and building them. How long does it take to build new sidewalks? It, well, I had one approved when I, so I took office in 2019 and there was one that was approved for Stratford Avenue and we are not quite at the point where we're ready to dig now. Hmm. So that was approved and budgeted. The money was encumbered, but we have to go out and get right of way from those residents on the side of the street where the sidewalk will go. So that means talking with every homeowner, paying them for the land that we're going to take to put that sidewalk in and getting that permission, getting that worked out with every single homeowner. Trying to reach everybody is difficult because not all of the homes are owner-occupied. So we have to find those people if they're out of town. Is it, um, is it a, a company that owns the home? How do we get them in order to uh, agree to let us put that sidewalk in place? That's the longest pr- part of the process. Is there any way to speed that up? I think that's a it's a great question. I think you know, can I come and take some of your land? Is really the mm. the bulk of the 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 answer there. And if it's okay for you for me to uh, you know use eminent domain to take the front of your lawn, and sometimes that means that you're not going to have a lawn at all in some neighborhoods. We're going to take all of it. You might have some shrubs right in front of your porch. Would you be okay with me doing that? Most people would say, I want to be engaged in that process. I don't want the city to just come along and do that, especially if maybe I'm not someone who uses the sidewalks or who has who sees the value in what a sidewalk does for a community. 
Kathy Carrillo from Walk Bike Nashville is still with us. Kathy, I, I want to ask you something about what historian Rachel Martin wrote in a 2017 Bloomberg article. She wrote that the city has had a long history of ignoring sidewalks. In 1943, city officials rewrote the city's charter and omitted any mention of sidewalks or gutters. She goes on to document the difficulty city officials have had in implementing solid action plans. What do you think has changed with the city currently? I think what has changed is the people are recognizing that if a city officials won't do it, then we need to step in and make our voices even louder, right? It, it starts with having amazing people like Emily run for office. It starts with having people who are dedicated, understand the urgency to step into roles like what Diane is doing. And it requires more of us actually getting involved in local government and these things to be able to create solutions because people haven't done have not done it for us historically. So it means we have to be involved. And that means whether it's like participating through local government or whether it's doing it ourselves. We mentioned that we did a tactical urbanism project over in Dickerson that then led to a crossroad, right? That was done by young people who um, set up lights and colored the sidewalk. They did it to make it obvious that it can be done. And even if it's not done with the right materials, it can look beautiful and there can be a community solution while we wait for what comes next. Right. And I think that that's important to address. Emily. If I could add, so Stratford, I mentioned the sidewalk, but there was a pedestrian death in 2018 and a near fatality in 2019. And we were able to, and, and it's um, a seven-tenth of a mile stretch between the prior two traffic lights. But we were able to quickly within um, prioritize this in about eight months. We were able to put in a, a traffic light there. So now there's a crosswalk all four ways around. Mm -hmm. That's a pedestrian improvement that is not a sidewalk, mm -hmm. but it shows that the when... When we get the urgency behind it, we can make improvements, and especially in areas we need to be looking at where there's a mile in between, um, you know, um, without a crosswalk on one of the highest WeGo ridership routes of the city, right? We want to encourage people to take the WeGo, but if you have to jump, play frog, or get across the street, mm -hmm. then how likely are you to take a bus system that needs improving itself, as you talked about a couple weeks ago? I was never very good at Frogger, so I'm glad <laughs> that that's happening. Now, what about lighting? on the streets at night. I've noticed that just driving around that the streets aren't really well lit at night. Barely enough for drivers, it's gotta be pretty bad for pedestrians. Yeah, lighting is definitely a, a dangerous piece. And I think the director would be able to talk about what she's been doing and working on to improve lighting. So I'm gonna put her on the spot with that. Diana? <laughs> Thank you, council member, I appreciate that. Um, actually, we are working very closely with NES. They are actually our partner when it comes to street lighting. We are currently working with them on uh, turning all our street lights into LED, and that will help with the visual, vis, with it being more lighting being more visible for the car, but also for the pedestrian because it'll actually fall over onto the sidewalk. If I can also go back and add a little bit to the conversation about you know building out quick builds and trying to get it done, you know, um, I'm six months in the city, so one of the things walking into the job, the mayor had said is, Diana, we want to get you know. Sidewalk's done 50% uh, faster, 20% cheaper. And we've been able, in my six months' time, been able to hit that mark where we are actually 26% cheaper and 58% faster. And we're doing that um, based on you know, quick builds. And that's what we're referring to it, or the tactical urbanism. So recognizing where there's those opportunities where we can go in, where we don't have to do some major infrastructure improvements, such as curb and gutter, which is very expensive and and does require a lot of um, right-of-way take where we already have the right-of-way, 
we're actually have identified a lot of those areas where we can go in and just quickly put down sidewalks and create them. So we are working in that direction and then lighting's going hand in hand with that. So we are working very closely with our partners at NES and building that out, making, improving it so that we can see. And then of course, as we have development coming in, we actually have them add to the street light um, infrastructure. So again, in every opportunity we can, we're finding those partnerships, we're adding to it. The 2020 special report mentions the lack of dedicated funding for sidewalks has been a major detriment to solving this problem. I see Kathy and Emily, you're both shaking your heads. I'm sure you are as well, Diana. Emily, can you, how can the city establish a consistent, dedicated revenue stream to this issue? I think if we're going to be committed to no one being put in harm's way due to unsafe and unwalkable streets, we absolutely must focus and make this a financial priority. We've not given it any investment in, in, in two different transit initiatives were shot down in the past 10 years. The city has not found value in this enough to uh, to get um, our, our, your elected leaders, me, to have the intestinal fortitude at council during the budget process to say, we want to be bold and spend $100 million this year on sidewalks. We also have to put that in the department's hands, too. And I need to make sure that we've got department leaders like Diana who are aggressively working and making change. For me, I like to think of things as one penny of tax revenue. And so when I think about how much money we need, if we did need $100 million, one penny of tax revenue is $4.3 million. And so with about a 25 cent tax hike in the rate, it would cost the average Nashvilleian about $300 per year, so just under a dollar a day, and we'd be able to invest $100 million in sidewalks in a year. I think we need to put it in that context and help people understand that they can make this a priority, but it does cost money. And if we're not going to get additional revenue, then we're going to continue to have to rob from Peter to pay Paul in the budget, moving money from department to department. We're not going to get it done that way. It's really going to take bold leadership that will that will show people that they will get the results that they want by making that financial investment with the city. How much does it cost to make a sidewalk? So it, the the number that I had at the report is not correct anymore, but at the time it was $1,000 per linear foot was the, the quote. Now, 74% of that was for, um, for stormwater cost mm. because we haven't done well with stormwater in the city in the past. Um, that cost is significantly lower now. I'm thinking it's in the 200 and some dollar range. I believe the director, she'll know that number right off, though. So what is, what's a linear foot? Put that in perspective for us. Sure. So you've got a six-foot wide sidewalk. So you've got six feet wide and then one foot um, in length. But underneath that, you might have um, all you might have stormwater pipes, sewer pipes, electrical lines, cable lines. You have, might have utility poles that have to be moved. And so all of that goes into that cost that when we looked at it was $1,000 a linear foot. Okay. Now, uh, Diana, I want to ask you real quick. Uh, we don't have time. We're totally out of time. We're going to do this again. I promise. I want to thank all of my guests for being here with us. I want to thank, thank Council Member Emily Benedict. I want to thank Diana Alacron from the Nashville Department of Transportation and Kathy Carrillo of Walk Bike Nashville. Thank you all for this very, very important topic and discussion today. Thank you. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Courtney Stone, Alice Robert Saxton, and Tony Gonzalez. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. 
Shout out to our intern, Doreen Shernecki. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>